I'm Christine Young. I'm a partner in the employment group at Herbert Smith Freehills, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, uh, Dave Palmer, a senior associate in the group, and Abby Foster, a trainee in our group. This is the first of our new mini series of podcasts looking at DNI issues, so diversity and inclusion. Uh, the next podcast will focus on DNI issues in the financial services sector. So if that's of interest to you, please do look out for that one. But we're here today to talk about the topical issue of DNI issues in the context of ethnicity pay reporting. Um, we've been waiting for two years to see what the government plans to do on ethnicity pay reporting, and it is still unclear whether the government will bring in mandatory measures at all, but it does seem likely. Uh, so as a result, we are recommending that all large employers need to think about how they would go about collecting ethnicity pay data if that turns out to be what happens, or indeed if you decide you want to do it voluntarily. And we'll come up with some tips for you on collecting that data. And of course, employers, um, if you're going to do it voluntarily, then you'll obviously want to listen on to what we're about to say. So we're going to explain what is ethnicity pay reporting, a brief history on reporting and where we find ourselves today, and then some top tips for the tricky job of getting a hold of the data in order to do the reporting in advance of it all becoming mandatory. So I'm going to hand you over to Dave, who's going to explain it a bit more. Thanks, Christine. So, of course, we have an ethnicity pay gap problem in the UK in the same way that we still continue to have a gender pay gap problem. I think we're all now quite familiar with the gender pay gap issue since the introduction of gender pay gap rules and the reporting that came with that in the last few years. And what hasn't been tackled yet is ethnicity pay reporting. Now, figures from the Office of National Statistics show that in 2019, the average white or black African earned 15% less than the average white British employee. So that is an example of the type of issue that some form of legislation would be designed to tackle to try and shorten that gap or eliminate it altogether. Now, the idea behind ethnicity pay reporting for businesses is that medium or large employers would report each year how different ethnic groups are paid in the workplace. And this will help employers spot disparities in representation of ethnic groups in the workforce. And it's then for employers to consider what steps that they want to take, lawfully of course, to address any such disparities. Now, ultimately, it's a tool for issue spotting to allow employers to take the action to make paying opportunities fairer. But ethnicity pay reporting, as Christine said, is not mandatory yet, and only a proportion of employers do it voluntarily, and those tend to be large, well-resourced employers. And, and I'm sorry, I can't quote it, but I did actually spot something on LinkedIn this morning, someone that I know had posted, that said that the number of uh, voluntary uh, reporting that was done last year actually dropped. So it's not even that this is that the, the voluntary uh, reporting is heading in a positive trajectory. It's not. And that makes it even more likely, I would suggest, that we're going to get legislation on this pretty soon. So. What Abby and I are going to do is just give a quick two minute history on the whole concept around ethnicity pay report in the UK, because I think that informs what we're then going to speak about in the rest of the talk. So in 2017, there was the McGregor Smith Review, Race in the Workplace, that was published, and this was what kicked it all off. One of the report's recommendation was that the government should legislate to ensure that all listed companies and businesses employing more than 50 people publish workforce data broken down by race and pay band. Um, so following that in 2018, business in the community then published a report called Race at Work 2018, um, which was the McGregor-Smith report one year on. 
And this report showed that in 2018, 11% of employees reported that their organisation collected data on the ethnicity pay gap ratio. Um, it also showed that in small organisations, this figure was much lower, with only 8% of rep employees reporting that their organisation collects this data. And of those that responded to say that their organisation does collect that data on the ethnicity pay gap, only 50% said that the data collected is then published. The report then recommended that the government should take action by publishing a consultation on ethnicity and pay. And so what happened at the same time, roughly, was that the Department for Bays took up the baton and it launched the consultation on mandatory ethnicity pay reporting. And the key elements of the consultation uh, looked at, I think, four issues really, was what ethnicity pay information should be reported? Should an employer that identified disparities in their ethnicity pay be required to publish an action plan? How can employers overcome the challenges of collecting, analysing and reporting the information, which is a very important point that we'll come on to? And the final point was which employers should report ethnicity pay information. So then in January 2020, the Equal Pay Bill was published and it had its first reading in the House of Lords. Um, so the bill was presented to make a provision for the right for employees to obtain information relating to the pay of a comparator, to reform remedies and time limits relating to equal pay, to provide a right to equal pay where single source can rectify unequal pay, to amend the statutory statement of particulars to include equal pay, to provide for requirements on certain employers to publish information about the differences in pay between male and female employees and between employees of different ethnic origins and for connected purposes. So then we get some action in the House of Commons um, and eventually where we get to the next kind of touch point in our story is that mm -hmm. the Secretary for Bays he responds to a question about the introduction of mandatory ethnicity pay reporting uh, and what Bayes indicated is that following the consultation, it had found that there are difficulties in designing a methodology that will produce accurate figures that facilitate analysis, interpretation and meaningful action for ethnicity pay gap reporting. And Paul Scully, who's the minister, he said that the government is continuing to analyse data and will respond to the consultation as soon as it can. Then not long after that, in March of 2021, the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities published their report. And this is a commission that was established by Boris Johnson in 2020 to investigate race and ethnic disparities in education, employment, crime and policing and health. This report concluded that the pay gap reporting system, which is currently used for gender, can't be applied to reporting on ethnicity. It said that this is because there's significant statistical and data issues that would recur in substituting a binary characteristic like male or female um, with one that has multiple characteristics like ethnicity. Um, the report did say that publication of ethnicity pay gaps should continue to be voluntary, but the government should provide guidance on employers who do choose to report it. The report did, however, recommend that all employers should choose to publish their ethnicity pay figures and should also publish a diagnosis and action plan to lay out the reasons for and the strategy to improve any disparities. So then in 2021, later on in September, we had the Westminster Hall debate on introducing mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting. There was an e-petition that closed with 130,000 odd signatures. And the Minister for Bayes said that the government was assessing its options uh, for the future policy and it would set out its response in due course. So then we get to October 2021 and there's a House of Lords debate on ethnicity pay reporting. And again, it was stated that the government is considering in detail what they've learned from the consultation and the further work's been done and that we, they would set out their response in due course. 
So then recently in February of 2022, the House of Commons Women and Equalities Commission Committee published the Ethnicity Pay Gap Reporting Report, um, and they recommended that the government should introduce mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting by April of 2023 for all organisations that currently report the gender. Um, they said that legislation should include the requirement for employers to publish a supporting narrative and action plan. They also said that the government should produce guidance with clear explanations on the data protection to reassure employers how they can legally capture, retain and report this, da this data. Um, also the methods for capturing, analysing and reporting ethnicity pay data and the body that would be responsible for enforcement and what powers that body would have. So that I think brings us bang up to date. So it feels like the government are going to bring in the mandatory reporting um, and it does seem like a, an easy political win given the dissenting voices um, are few and far between. So Dave and Abby, how should employers or what really should they be doing now to prepare for the mandatory reporting and indeed should they be beginning voluntary reporting? Thanks, Christine. So we're going to go through some tips and, and hopefully I won't have to stay, say statistical uh, any more times in this podcast and get it wrong because I've realised it's a very tricky word to say. But tip number one, and now this is within employer's control right now, is to think about the categories when they're deciding to report their pay gap. So that, and this is proven really tricky and quite contentious. The 2011 Office of National Statistics census groups individuals into 18 detailed ethnic groups, but they comprise five broad ethnic categories groups, which is white, Asian, black, mixed and other. Now, the advantages for a, a business, I would suggest, of using the ONS categories are that they might reflect the government's categories when it finally legislates on, on this, assuming that it will. And it feels slightly safer for an, an employer to rely on the ONS categories than straying into the territory of creating new or different categories regarding what, as I've said, can sometimes be a slightly contentious point. Yes, so the next step is also tricky. The employer needs to gather the ethnicity data. Now, this depends on staff providing that data, assuming that the employer won't already have it. And the race in the workplace report is a reasonably good source to check, explaining how the employer can improve how they gather the ethnicity data from staff. Um, transparency and direct communications with staff about the purpose of collecting the data is always a sensible starting point. And so then the third step, which is also tricky, is to pull together the data, splice it up, analyse the results, and if the employer wishes, publish the result. But in terms of the, the splicing, uh, right now the employer could adopt, we suggest, one of the options. What they might want to do is try and create one pay gap figure comparing average hourly earnings of ethnic minority employees as a percentage of white employees. They could look at another option, which is several pay gap figures comparing average hourly earnings of different groups of ethnic minority employees as a percentage of white employees. Or they could look at ethnicity pay information by pay band or quartiles showing the proportion of employees from different ethnic groups, say, I don't know, £20,000 pay bands or by pay quartiles. Um, I think that the, the thing here is that um, we don't really know what way the government's going to go on this. The, the, the options we've just described are the ones taken from the, the consultation. Um, and the fourth step is for the employer to decide how it will take steps to address any ethnicity pay gaps identified using lawful recruitment and retention strategies. Thanks. So then final point about data, about the data side of this, and it comes to data protection. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the layers of this topic, but ethnicity data, special category data and steps must be taken as regards its processing. 
It's one of the limited number of examples, I think, where explicit consent to process the data might be used as a, as a grounds for processing it. So that would be getting consent from employees and job applicants. Although there is a, also an exclusion, as Christine uh, pointed out to me yesterday, in Schedule 1 Part 1, Paragraph 8 of the Data Protection Act 2018. And that exclusion applies for equality of opportunity or treatment. And that may be helpful here instead of consent. But um, as Christine rightly pointed out to me, it's a bit academic, um, as businesses will likely need to ask individuals for ethnicity information in the first place if this wasn't collected on recruitment. So practically, consent will effectively be needed anyway that the individuals, because they're only going to disclose their ethnicity information to their employer if they're happy to do so. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Dave. And the last point I'd make is we we already have a um, in the financial services sector uh, a DNI paper uh, discussion paper from last summer where they're looking at reporting and, and ethnicity reporting not about pay but, but about ethnicity um, is being looked at and the ONS categories is, are being used for that so the government may well be influenced by that in any in any plans they have for pay gap reporting as well. That's a good point. Um, so I just I think that's been a really informative session, certainly from my perspective. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see what the government does next. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. For anybody that's got an interest in Tupi, just a little plug that Tim Lever and I will be doing a podcast shortly with our real estate colleagues on the issue of Tupi. Um, so please do tune in for that. Great. Thanks very much, Dave. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good day. Thank you.